Welcome to the weekly podcast of the Voice of Healing Radio with Michael Petro. VOH Radio brings an in-depth understanding of the scriptures prophetically, rich revelation of the early church apostolic fathers, and biblical interpretation of the biggest news and political stories of our day. Take VOH Radio with you on the go. Listen on demand weekly. New programs released every Monday at 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Radio.com, TuneIn, and more. To partner with us, please go to voh.church forward slash radio. That's voh.church forward slash radio. Or email us at radio at voh.church. Hello, this is Michael Petro from VOH Radio. and We want to thank you for your support and sending the revelation of Jesus Christ around the world. Because of your generosity, we're always receiving and hearing of incredible testimonies from our followers worldwide. Accounts of healing, impartations, restoration, even revivals in Pakistan, Australia, Europe, Canada, and the U.S. and more. For the month of May, we want to give our listeners a code for 10% off on our new 2021 Pentecost merchandise line. To use this code, visit us at voh.church backslash merch and click on the Pentecostal line and use the code FIRE2021. That code again is FIRE2021. Purchase today. The code will only be available till the end of May. We want to thank you for partnering with us at VOH Radio and Reaching the Nations. Blessings. I'm Mike Petro, and this is VOH Radio. It's a really interesting time that we're in as far as uh, the kingdom is concerned. You know, people ask me all the time, or growing up in church, how do you know that, you know, we're in the timing? Well, the Bible is actually pretty straightforward about it. When Jesus is talking about not a person not knowing the time, or the hour, it's really, there's several reasons why he would say that. One, he was talking to a people that really didn't understand what time it was. But when you get to the preachings of Paul, Paul's very clear about, you know, that that day should not take you by surprise, meaning you should understand the signs of the times, the signs that were, uh, the signs of uh, what is happening according to biblical prophecy. And we looked really at things that are going on around the world. And I'm not just talking about, um, you know, political events or things that are happening uh, as far as as movements of uh, armies and forces. Really, what you need to take a look at is, is there a religious leader out there that is, used as a political leader also that the Bible talks about. So we, we have this political leader and this religious leader that, is base, uh, that are basically moving away from what the Bible is saying. And we definitely have a picture of those people today. The Jews are saying, actually, they're, they're saying that they have their Messiah, which is a very interesting um comment for them to make because very clearly the scripture the new testament tells us that you know that this leader this religious leader would be a false messiah and so when we understand that 
these things are already in play now. The Jews have been very particular about, you know, who's their Messiah, you know, and, and the coming of their Messiah. That It's just not something for them just to randomly talk about. So to me, you know, what the Bible says, what Jesus says when in uh, Paul and John and uh, uh, Daniel, when we talk about end time events, we're really talking about a leader that would come forward and uh, that would lead the, the spiritual side, but we also see a false leader um, that would come out of the uh, political side and when we understand that the political and, and spiritual leader literally speaks of a high priest in the Old Testament, we can understand that those two figures are being put in place to actually show us that the Lord wants to bring his uh, move forward also. Uh, really a, a one last great harvest that I believe that uh, we're on the verge of seeing. Uh, there's too many signs, there's too many things happening um, that point to where we're at right now. But really what I wanted to get into is is eschatology. Now, when I say eschatology, I, you know, I know that speaks of end time events, but I'm not really wanting to get fully into um, that conversation. What I really want to talk about is what is eschatology? And to the early church, how was eschatology understood? Because when we start talking about end time events, a lot of people will literally take the teachings literally in the scripture. And we know that basically all eschatological teaching or end time event teaching has more to do with symbolisms so that we don't get so stuck on that symbolism and understand that you know, we're taking something literal that was never meant to be taken literal. Let me give you an example. Because the actually the New Testament is filled with this type of teaching, or another term for it is parabolic teaching. Symbolic, parabolic, you know, the word parable means literally a parallel uh, teaching, a symbolism that is parallel to something else. And so when the Lord gives us these parallels, what he's really doing is trying to give us a greater understanding of a topic so that we know what we're supposed to be looking for. And the Bible, in many instances, was never meant to be taken altogether literally. Uh, yes, there is literal events, but those literal events can also be symbolic events. Let me, again, let me give you an example. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. The apostle Paul's talking about uh, when the Hebrews were going through the wilderness. And he says this, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea. So we know that, you know, if we read the Exodus, when the Hebrews came out of Egypt, they were walking through the wilderness. And we know that, Three days after they had left Egypt, they went through the Red Sea. Now, the day that they left Egypt, Egypt was the feast of first. For, uh, I'm sorry, feast of Passover. Then, when they went through the Red Sea three days later, that was the feast of first fruits. So, uh, in the Hebrew calendar, in God's calendar, we very clearly can see and understand that when. When Jesus was crucified, 
He was crucified, our Savior, our, our Christ, our Messiah was crucified at Passover, not any other day of the year. He wasn't crucified on some pagan holiday. He was crucified on the Hebrew way of thought. And three days later, he was resurrected and has nothing to do with, with Easter at all. Easter is a pagan holiday. If you go back and research it, you'll find out that the early church that came to the United States, the, uh, the pilgrims would not celebrate Easter because this was part of religious persecution that was coming out of Europe. And they wanted a pure doctrine. So when we understand that Easter has nothing to do with the resurrection, everything has everything to do with a pagan holiday on the worship of Estar. Uh, literally, uh, they would take uh, the, the worshipers of Estar, this pagan god, this fallen angel, would take eggs, dip them in the... Uh, the blood of slain children and pass them out as fertility rites uh, to their friends and neighbors. So I don't understand how colored eggs has anything to do with Jesus and Easter hunts uh, on the, on the uh, Capitol lawns. None of that has anything to do with our savior, but it has a lot to do with paganism and really the worship of, of satanic things. Uh, paganism is literally the worship of fallen angels. So when we understand that three days after Passover is first fruits, when Jesus say, says that, you know, he is the first fruits of many brethren, it has a wider meaning and a spiritual, not only a spiritual meaning, but it has to do directly with being tied into this feast. And uh, so here we can see that when the Hebrews came out of Egypt, they came out of Passover. Now watch what Paul says in verse two. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. So... When I read the Exodus, nowhere does it say in the Old Testament, anywhere, that when they went through the Red Sea, they were being baptized. As it says in verse 2 here, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud in the sea. Now, also, when he talks about being baptized in the cloud, obviously, the cloud is also symbolic of the Holy Spirit. So nowhere do I read in the Old Testament where it says that they were baptized uh, by the Holy Spirit in the cloud when they, you know, went through the Red Sea. It says that all ate the same spiritual food. Well, we know that they ate the manna, but nowhere in the Old Testament does it say that the manna was spiritual food. It says they all drank the same spiritual drink from the spiritual rock. So we know that Moses struck the rock and the water came out and they all drank of that rock, or I'm sorry, drank of that water that was coming from that rock. But nowhere does it say that that rock was spiritual. And if you ask a rabbi or you ask any Jewish person actually that studies the Old Testament, they are gonna tell you that all that happened was a miracle. It was a miracle uh, 
when they went through the Red Sea. It was a miracle that God did. It was a miracle when God fed them the manna. It was a miracle when the rock produced the water. Now, you know, I remember, uh, you know, when I was a kid, I watched the Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston, right? And I remember that there was this rock and this water was coming out of it. You know, it looked like maybe, uh, you know, if you kept your cup underneath that water uh, for maybe, you know, about an hour, you would get a full glass of water. And so they were, you know, all famished and thirsty and they were all, you know, he was running over and, and drinking from that rock. And I have to laugh because literally we know somewhere between 3 million and 14 million, even uh, theologians have said, uh, people came out of Egypt. So if you think that it, it, it had to be a river that came out of that rock, because literally the miracle would have had to been so large for that many people to take a drink without, you know, being dehydrated. God had to do something so immense that it, that literally it would almost look like Niagara Falls was coming out of that rock because of the intensity of the water that would have had to come forward to uh, give that many people something to drink. And there's actually scars in the desert from where they believe that rock was. There, there's things that they've seen, other rocks that were literally... Uh, um, um, damaged or or swept over by water, and they're wondering how this happened out in the middle of the desert. Well, obviously, it it would tell us, you know, from Scripture that it would had to have been that water that that the Lord brought out of the rock at the time of Moses. But as we take a look through this Scripture, Paul is saying things here in First Corinthians. They were baptized in the Red Sea. They were baptized under the cloud. They ate spiritual food when they ate manna. They ate spiritual drink when they drank the water. But nowhere in the Old Testament does it say that. So where did Paul get this information from? See, Paul understood something. He understood the interpretation of the Holy Spirit. Matter of fact, this type of teaching when we look back into the early church, it was called the traditional teachings, meaning the cloud, the sea, the manna. These are all spiritual understandings that have greater things to do with an exodus that comes at the end of the age. Now, you've heard me probably talk about this before, that Egypt in Hebrew means to limit God. And the word Pharaoh, who was the king of Egypt, means to be doubly minded. So we know that Jesus said a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways, meaning he's a Pharaoh. He is somebody that cannot be trusted with the things of God. If Noah would have been double-minded, God would have never let Noah build the ark. If Abraham would have been double-minded, God would have never gave the promise of the, the nations, hallelujah, that he would birth because of his double-mindedness. Nowhere in the Bible does God use a double-minded person. God always uses a person that is a faith, and that faith is always tested to the extreme. If you look at Abraham, Abraham was told to take his son and sacrifice him. And we would look at the story of, of Abraham's son, Isaac, we get a very clear picture that Isaac is a type of Jesus 
There's no doubt that the Lord was giving us a symbolism in the Old Testament with Abraham that, that the Messiah would come, he would be a sacrificial lamb, and that literally God was going to have to kill his own son in order to bring the forgiveness of sins. But isn't it amazing? We can see that as Christians. And actually what you say, what you're saying when you say I'm a Christian, you're saying I'm an anointed one. And a lot of people really don't understand what that means. When you go back to the early church teaching to be a Christian or to be an anointed one means I've been anointed to see these symbolisms, what they mean. I, I get beyond the letter of the word and I can see the spiritual side of the word. So to the early church fathers and to uh, all the disciples' sons, these men taught that spiritual teaching was really symbolic teaching. So when we understand what Paul's talking about, the cloud and the sea, the spiritual food and the manna, all of a sudden we get to the book of Revelations, all of, we begin to get interpretations, symbolic, spiritual interpretations so that we can look at it and say, this is what this must mean. Jesus in the book of Revelation says to them that overcome, I'm going to give them some of the hidden manna. So literally, it must mean one of two things, that either manna is going to start appearing again like it did in the desert, or that that manna is a spiritual food like Paul says it is right here that has everything to do with the word of God. How do I know that manna is the word of God. Does the Bible say that? Does, is there anything that gives us a confirmation in that? So if we go back to John chapter 6, it's an extremely powerful teaching by Jesus. He says, in verse starting in verse 26, Surely I say, uh, uh, Jesus answers and said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set his seal upon him. Notice those that are sealed are those he's saying that are eating this food that leads to eternal life. Then he said to him, what shall we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God that you believe in him who sent, he sent. Therefore, they said to him, what sign will you perform that we might see it and believe you? What works will you do? Our Lord, our fathers ate the manna in the desert as it is written he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So here, Jesus is making a parallel teaching, and he's saying, or parable, parabolic teaching, and literally, that's it's a spiritual interpretation. He's literally giving us an understanding on how to interpret the book of Revelations because now Jesus is saying the bread that was there, that was given to them, was the manna from heaven. So as Jesus is talking about this bread from heaven, 
He goes on to say, and Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you bread or manna from heaven, but my father gives you true bread from heaven or manna from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then he said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. So all of a sudden they're, they're saying, Lord, we want to eat this bread. And this is the only bread that we're hungry for, this eternal life bread. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes, down, comes to me will never hunger. And he who believes in me shall never thirst. Well, and all of a sudden, we know that the bread is the manna because he just said that. So what is this uh, when he says they'll never thirst? He's talking about the water that came from the rock. So not only was John or Paul talking about this event, hallelujah, when he was talking in the book of Corinthians, but Jesus is talking about the same event, but he takes it, hallelujah, to a whole other level. So uh, Paul must have been un, uh, taking his understanding of a historical event, of a of a event that happened to the Jews when they came out of Egypt. And he really seen the spiritual understanding of it. Why? Because clearly this event is also an end time event. The rabbis call it the greater exodus. And if soon, if you're reading the book of Revelation, you begin to realize real quick that there's a parallel between what is happening in the book of Revelations and what happened when the Jews came out of Egypt. Amen. Verse 37, all of the fathers gave uh, all that the father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out for I've come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the father who sent me that all he has given me, I should lose nothing but should raise them up in the last day. Not when they die, he said, in the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life. And I will raise him up in the last day. The Jews then complained about him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it that he says, I have come down from heaven? Jesus therefore answered and said to them, do not murmur among yourselves. No one comes to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up in the last day. Hallelujah. Verse 35, and Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger and he who believes in me shall never thirst. And I said, to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but to, to do the will of him that has sent me. So when we understand this, Jesus is not only saying he's the bread that came down from heaven, or he's the manna that came down from heaven. He goes on to explain that that manna or that bread is his body or is his flesh. And that 
manna or that flesh, when we eat his bread, right, we eat that flesh. Verse 51, I'm the living bread, which comes down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And that bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. The Jews then quarreled among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? See, they could not understand, like many Christians, that Jesus is talking spiritually. He's giving a symbolic teaching. So he's saying his flesh is the bread and the bread is the manna. So what's he really saying? The manna is his body. And so he's saying, if you eat my body and you drink my blood. So he's making a comparison between the water that came out of the rock and his blood. And what do we call that? Communion. So this, he is not talking here of a physical communion. He's talking of a spiritual communion of understanding the scriptures. And he's saying his scriptures is his body or is his flesh. So when the early church believed that, they believed that they were the body of Christ, like the scripture says. So in reality, we must eat the body of Christ. And the only, when you understand this as Jesus as our sacrificial lamb, when the priests were done sacrificing lambs, they were required to eat the, the, the meat of those lambs. That is when the sacrifice was considered over. So when somebody brought their lamb and the priest transferred the sin of the person onto the lamb and then he went and sacrificed that lamb in front of that individual. Then they took that lamb after it was cooked at the, at the altar of sacrifice and the priest would share it and eat it. They would literally consume the sin of the individual. It says it all through scripture. That was their faith. But see, that's why you and I, Jesus calls us to eat his flesh and to drink his blood. Because as our sacrificial lamb, as the one that has taken away our sin, we must become priests. Paul says that we're kings and priests. Peter says we're kings and priests. Paul says, don't you know the temple? And when you begin to understand that, you begin to realize in order to finish the sacrifice, we, the priest of the Lord Jesus Christ, have to partake of his body, the manna from heaven, the living word that gives us eternal life. That's why Jesus said to them that overcome, I will give them the manna from heaven, the hidden manna, the hidden word. Today, we ate some of that hidden manna because it's time for a new move of God. This is Mike Petro with the Voice of Healing Radio. God bless you. If you enjoyed today's podcast, partner with us by heading to voh.church forward slash radio. That's voh.church forward slash radio. Your financial gift helps the Voice of Healing Radio bring revelation to God's kingdom and to the nations. Have a testimony or prayer request? Call us at one 877 440-3737. That's 1-877-440-3737. Or send us an email at radio at voh.church. And don't forget to add VOH Radio on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for your current updates. This is the Voice of Healing Radio 
with Michael Petro.